Hello, dreamers. If you haven't yet, go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at livingthedream506. But most importantly, keep listening and let me know what you think. This episode of Living the Dream is brought to you by AMW Group. Get your song to the audience it deserves with AMW's Spotify playlist promotion service and work with AMW's experts to get your music heard. Check out their services by visiting bit.ly slash livingthedream10 and get a special 10% discount to their music promotion services by using coupon code AMW10. Today's episode is a two-part interview with the founding members of a band that I've been listening to for over 20 years now and have been a huge fan of since the days of Much Music and uh, MTV when they actually played music videos and uh, back when life made sense. That band is Wide Mouth Mason. We start off with drummer Safwan and then finish up with lead singer and guitarist Sean Vero. Their new album, I Wanna Go With You, is available now wherever you consume music. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed chatting with these Canadian music legends. Let's do this.
Hi, this is Safwan from Widemouth Mason, and I'm living the dream. Living the dream. I'm here with Stefan, the drummer and backing vocals for Widemouth Mason. How's it going today, man? Good, man. Uh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a pleasure. I've been a fan of you guys since the mid '90s, so this is this is pretty awesome for me. Oh, awesome! Thanks for thanks for being a fan for that long. It's uh, people like you that were the, are the reason why we're a band. <laughs> So you guys just released a new album called I Want to Go With You. We did. Uh, uh, so your last album was in 2011, making this your first album in eight years. That's, that it sounds crazy to say that out loud, but yeah, it's been a big gap. Yeah, that's crazy. I read online somewhere that you were dead. That was just a hoax, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm not in a position to confirm or disconfirm that. <laughs> so where have you guys been? We've been, uh, we've been, we've been parents. We've been parenting. We, uh, both of us had kids, um, in the last eight, seven to 10 years. Um, and so we've just been kind of focused on being dads that are home instead of on the road. Um, and that's kind of been the, the primary time eater in the last several years. And, and we finally got into a place now where kids are a bit bigger, they're going to school. So, we thought we should fill the time with uh, something creative. Yeah, perfect. Do your kids play at all? Kind of. I have them in, my kids are in piano lessons and I try to do drum lessons at home. They don't seem to take well to my teaching them, so I just kind of let them play around and I'm waiting on the day that one or two, both of them come to me and say, okay, now we're re really ready to get serious about it. Yeah, my my son's nine years old and I've, I'm having the same experience where he doesn't seem to want to learn guitar from me so i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, in the same position it's like it's so odd it doesn't make sense it's like I, i'm i got here i got you let's do this but yeah it's so <laughs> I know, weird right? i don't want to learn it from you kind of thing yeah it kind of sucks so i'm like it'll i don't want to push him but i have faith it'll turn around for both of us don't worry yeah hopefully yeah. <laughs> so the new album is there anything specific you want to tell us about it yeah i mean it's uh like we mentioned it's it was a long time coming we've been you know, wanting to get into studio and do this um, the whole time and talking about it and planning it out. And, and through all of that planning, we, we realized that we want to get, we want to really make this uh, a pointed, almost a tribute to our blues roots. Um, when we came up as a band, we were playing as a cover band initially and then eventually migrated into the blues room circuit in Western Canada. Um, in part because we were big blues fans and, and wanted to play that kind of music and in part because that audience embraced us pretty quickly and let us play, you know, mix in our originals when, if, and when we wanted to. Um, and, and from that kind of everything spawned into Wadmouth Mason, the history that, you know, um, so we kind of wanted to make an album that, that sort of 
almost thank the blues for for teaching us everything it's taught us and for being our constant companion throughout um and and then in addition to that sean had begun experimenting with um a, a new playing style that he hadn't or as far as i know anyone had had ever sort of done before which was to to play with three slides is their ball point or ball tipped slides that he uses on his left hand um mm-hmm. kind of looking like a c3po kind of get up um <laughs> and and he started kind of developing that technique and skill over the course of a few years and eventually that started seeping into his songwriting and and that started really shaping um the material that was going to be on this album and it fit it readily fit within that um idea of making a, a blues album uh so that was the the background to it and then we went into we started going into studio in around 2017 um with a friend of ours named ryan Dahl from limb lifter and age of electric and mounties um nice a fellow, a fellow saskatchewan man as well um and so we originally went in for a couple of days just to essentially demo some of the material um and we came out of that feeling really good about what it sounded like and how it felt and, and working with Ryan too. Um, and we decided we should do more of that. And, and he agreed. So we kind of kept doing a bunch of those sessions over the course of the next year and, and a bit um, and, and realized that we had an album and felt really good about it. And, and, and there you go. That was about six to eight months ago that that wrapped and we said, okay, let's do this. Nice. So it's called "I Want to Go with You." What does what's the title's significance? Uh, it's so it's one of the songs on the on the album itself is called that as well, and it's it's a lyric in that song, and it's essentially saying, you know, whatever's whatever wherever we're going, whatever we're gonna do, I want to do it with you, with your partner, with your whether that's your sort of companion or whether that's your your partner in making music or whether that's you know your partner in terms of what the muse is for you it's the idea of, of that companionship and shared experience that enriches everything that we get to experience in life.
what's it, what's your influences like what what inspires you and your style of play oh man um i think the i think the quicker answer for it would be what doesn't inspire mm. my style of play but I, I i listen to you know we're we're seasoned musicians now we've been doing this for a long time and and throughout we've been we have we've had a voracious appetite in terms of wanting to hear as much as we possibly can spanning across every genre so whether that's you know for me as a child growing up listening to um, what my parents were listening to, which was like Pakistani folk music and Gowali music to, you know, recently discovering these Tuareg desert blues musicians called Tinariwan from, uh, from West Northwest Africa, you know, and everything in between. It's like, there's so much out there in terms of musical output that you'll, you can spend lifetimes, multiple lifetimes trying to discover it all and you never will. I guess ultimately what inspires me and influences me is listening to something that where you can feel the person's um, integrity and commitment to their craft. And, um, and as simple as it sounds, a good hook, you know, and a good hook will get me every time. Um, and whether that's uh, something that's sung melodically, whether that's a guitar riff, whether that's a cool drum beat, it doesn't really matter. It's just something that, that, you know, gets in your head and, and you can't get it out of your head and you just keep listening to it over and over again. That's the, that gets me every time. For sure. What's, what's a, one of the best hooks you can think of? Oh, geez. Uh, <laughs> I guess there's a, the, I like the melodic hook in uh there's a track right now I'm listening to that. I can't stop listening to It's, it's by a guy named Amjad Sabri, A-M-J-A-D-S-A-B-R-I. And it's a song called Rung, R-A-N-G. And his, him and this other guy named um, Rahat Fateh Ali Khan sing in it. And the, and the melodic, the, the melody of that, of the vocals are so hooky, I can't get them out of my head. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so you guys used to be a cover band, you said. What kind of, what kind of music were you guys playing? Whatever the the bar owner would tell us to basically um, oh really it was yeah it'd be you know it was rural alberta and saskatchewan and bc that we were doing the circuits in and, and sometimes northwest territories and yukon and so it was you know whatever the the bar patrons wanted often it was like what was top 40 of of that era and then the, the couple decades before that so you know it could be anything it could be um it could be Van Morrison or Metallica or <laughs> John Cougar Mellencamp. Sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back in uh, 97, your self-titled album, which went gold, which was essentially also your first independent album, Nazarene, which was just like the same tracks scattered and re-recorded and re-recorded. Yeah. What was the mindset behind that? Like, was that specifically requested by the record company to just re-record those tracks and re-release them uh i mean i think they kind of they had gotten wind of who we were by dint of the that what i'd referenced earlier about playing in blues rooms and the blues rooms really embracing us and so there started to be this live um this buzz that came uh that built around our live show so the label started getting hip to that and they sent people out to see us and then Warner ultimately signed us and, and the, the people kind of spearheading that and, and the, who are our champions there, a fellow named Dave Tollington and another one named Kim Cook. Um, 
they, you know, they sat us down and discussed how, what we wanted to do and what our vision was. And it was the independent album that they had first heard before they came to see us live. And, um, they felt like the songs were great. They just needed to be kind of polished and, and made, um, ready for that next level. So if you, if you AB the two of them, if you take one song from the independent and compare it to the, to the version on the, on the first release with Warner, um, you'll hear those songs. The Warner versions are shorter. Uh, they're probably arranged differently. You won't have as much meandering. Um, we basically had, you know, people brought in that were really helpful in, in teaching us the, the craft of taking a, a song and improving it in terms of um, the songwriting itself and in terms of the arrangement and in terms of recording it and making it sound polished and professional. So was it like a, it wasn't like a too many cooks situation. It was like you actually embraced the change and like welcomed it and thought it actually improved the songs. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was, I, I think it was neither one of those. It was somewhere in between. It was, you know, there's, especially early on when you're first writing songs and recording them, you become really attached to what you've done because you've done it, you know, you've put this right. thing out and it's your baby. Um, and so it takes a bit to, to figure out how to let go of that. And, and that's, there's some wrestling with your own ego involved. Um, but we, you know, Sean and I have known each other and have been really close friends since we were nine years old and been playing music together since we were nine years old. So I think it helps to have that, that fraternal kind of relationship to have someone go through that with you. Um, even in very subtle ways, it's just, there's, you feel supported kind of. Um, and so we, you know, we both wrestled with that process, but we, we got through it and ultimately you recognize the proof is in the pudding, right? When you hear the result, if you're willing to try what someone's suggesting and you, and you hear the result and it sounds better than what you had, then that's kind of all bets are off at that point. You're like, okay, now, now that makes sense. Let's keep doing that. Yeah. It's still hard though. Even to this day, it's still hard, but you get better and better at it as you do it. For sure. So you said you guys played together since you were nine. What were you guys playing at nine years old together? Uh, a really crappy version of tequila at our school assembly. <laughs> <laughs> nine years old really yeah first time i ever played with someone played my instrument with someone else was sean playing guitar and same thing with him the other way i think i, I didn't even i was at his house and he had his guitar and i think i just used pots and pans because my drum set was at my house <laughs> when did you start playing uh right around then i think eight or nine we started taking each of us started taking lessons cool yeah i'm just picturing like i said my son's nine so i'm picturing him on stage performing for the first time yeah it's a it's a weird you know everyone does it differently i my kids are both really uh um are, are shy on stage like they don't want to get up and, and be seen in that way and and yet you know they see their dad doing what he does and it's like okay it's kind of it's kind of like they're going swimming the other way <laughs> we had a few fan questions but i i'm gonna pick my favorite one and ask you here right now sure um you guys toured with ACDC in 2001 and ZZ Top in 2010. Uh, yeah. Do you, do you remember that? No, I remember it very well. Yeah, <laughs> those were big. Uh, those were big opportunities for us and sort of seminal moments in our careers. That and then the the Rolling Stones shows too. Yeah, that was awesome. 
did you get a chance to hang with any of those bands at all or have any cool stories from playing with them so we, we got to meet every all of them but the, the dude we hung out with the most by a lot was um was gibbons from zz top he just became i don't know he just befriended us um and it was weird because we had tur- toured with them once before in like 1996 i want to say right around the time we got signed or just after and he hanging out with us on a daily basis and and whenever we have days off he's he's got his his car outside and he's given us the call to come down we're going out for for food and drinks um and i have many funny stories although i'm not sure i can retell any of them um but other than to say he's a wonderful human being and he <laughs> and you know he treated us with with such kindness and warmth and i'll cherish that forever he's a he's a good guy he gave me some good advice it was shortly after the the recession the financial recession and he you know he's like maybe 90 pounds he's a small man oh, really over one he pulled me over one day backstage and he's like listen all these bankers out there they're just crooks here's what you do <laughs> And he reaches down into his, his three layers of shirts and pulls out all these chains that had like chunks of either gold or silver or platinum hanging off of them in different shapes and, you know, in, 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 in different sort of patterns. And he looks at me. I'm just surprised that he has all that weight and he can carry it around. And he's like, <laughs> you take all your money and you get yourself some medals and you keep them on your person. That's it. <laughs> And I just looked at him and said, okay, I, I don't have that much money, but, uh, but uh, with what I have, I'll take your, your advice uh, to heart. So <laughs> now I wear a chain with a little gold circle in it. Nice. Keep your, keep your savings on you. Keep your money on you. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, shout out to Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. That's right. I'll shout out <laughs> to him every time. Awesome. Anything else you want to say about the new album? uh we're really happy with it man we're really proud of it and i hope people go check it out i um i felt i I don't know when i felt this good about anything ever so um maybe it's the long gap but we feel like we've done something special here and that this is one of our ones we'll be most proud of nice any touring plans right now yeah we'll get out on the road in 2020 um probably do some festivals in the summer uh and then and then get to doing um, maybe like soft cedars um, and, and the like in the winter. Awesome. Well, hopefully you guys make it to the East Coast and I'll get to see you guys. That's the plan. Well, thanks so much for doing this, man. Right on. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Sean Vareau of Widemouth Mason and I'm living the dream.
Sean Groh of Widemouth Mason, lead guitar and vocals. What else? What other titles do you have? Uh, I guess, uh, well, guitar kind of covers it. I, I, this record, I mostly played lap steel, but that's, that's a form of guitar. Um, I ended up playing bass on a song or two, but that could also fall under the electric guitar umbrella. So, yeah, I would say those those cover my things. When you were talking to Saf earlier, he has covered the drumming, the lawyering, the uh, flight booking, and I cover the guitar playing and the singing. Nice. So he actually, while you mentioned it, um, when I was talking to Saf, he mentioned that you started developing this style of guitar playing with three slides. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what's going on there for us? Yeah, so uh, as a as a player of standard guitar, um, I've I've gone down a path of using the slide on my pinky and then using the other fingers on my left hand quite a bit, um, which has become kind of a more common thing. That that you know there are, there are traditional slide players who only use the slide, and then people, whether inspired by Sonny Landreth or uh, David Tronzo or other players would use their other fingers kind of to press down behind the slide and you can sound those notes behind the slide. And my playing with, with slide on traditional guitars developed to where I just kind of think of my pinky is made out of Pyrex and I use my <laughs> other fingers all the time. Um, and then I got a, a dear friend gave me a lap steel that he'd made um, probably seven or eight years ago and while I appreciated it, the traditional style of holding a bar in my left hand, just I felt like numbskull. You'd think the, the muscle memory of you know, having your hands point towards the ceiling and having them horizontal to the floor would be transferable, but it wasn't for me. And I just felt like I couldn't, anything I could do on it sounded like something that, that 
millions of people had done before on it more in tune and better. So I was kind of at a loss with it. And then just a, just over five years ago, I was working on a record and I was actually in Ryan Dahl, who we made I Want to Go With You With's um, Airstream trailer that he had parked outside of the studio we were both working in. And I had that lap steel that I just basically left at the studio for other people to to use for atmospheric things and soundtracks because I, I couldn't find a voice on it. And I slipped a slide onto another finger while I was playing with a slide on why I didn't have a bar with me. So I, I just put two slides on my hand and went, wait a second, now I can kind of do some of the stuff that I do on a regular guitar where I can have two voices at once. But it dawned on me in that in that moment that I could do other stuff that I couldn't do on a regular guitar, like have the notes move different directions or use one of the slides as kind of a, a bar or a capo and have the other slide move along with it. And then I just went off the deep end in the next few months of a slide on every finger, a thimble on some <laughs> fingers, a, a knife or a, you know, a spring. I tried all kinds of stuff and it was really exciting. It was like just, it brought play into this thing that had had just felt like a, a puzzle up until that point. And I ended up kind of settling on three being the magic number for me, where I still need my pinky to mute the, the extraneous noises that can happen when you play slide. And I, and I wanted to have a finger available for either bending strings or to, to just not have a thing on to space the slides out. And, and I just sucked at it for long enough so that I started not sucking at specific parts of it. And like a person who wanted to learn French, who just went to live in France, I started showing up to local gigs here in Vancouver with just a lap steel and that going, okay, guys, I know this is a, a blues and R&B gig, and I'm going to hit the ditch a bunch of times in front of people. And I've been doing this long enough that I'll be able to pull it out of the ditch a few times and other times it'll hit the ditch and I'll just keep going. And I just kept doing that until I could do it a little more in tune each time and discovered new chords all the time and started to really explore the possibilities. It was very interesting. Has, is there anything else done like this? Like, has anyone ever done anything like that? Uh, there was a, a guitarist in Toronto named Brian Coburg who passed away a couple years ago and uh, a protege of his name, Mike Nagoda, who's carrying on the tradition and, and they do a style where they have a, a, a more traditional kind of a lap steel bar that there's a, a ring on one of their fingers that holds it on. And then a, a, like a mini slide, like a satellite that they, they both use to, to play melodies with. And I, hmm. I discovered it after because I started just Googling going, certainly someone must have done this or is, is there anyone who can give me any clues to you know what mistakes i might not want to make and and it was kind of similar but but kind of different and i ended up getting in touch with brian before he passed just going i wanted him to know that i wasn't being one of those prices right contestants who's like you bid a thousand dollars and i bid a thousand and one <laughs> like i wasn't right. trying to just add one slide to <laughs> to mow his lawn or anything i just i'd i'd come upon it uh just by trial and error and 
And he was like, well, what you're doing is, is pretty different from what I'm doing. Let's both just develop it and see what we can come up with. And man, that was part of the fun of it was not having a Mel Bay book to, to uh, you know, look at, not having YouTube videos to teach me what to do. So I, every time I'd sit down to play, I'd have to make it up as I went along. And it was almost like sending messages back to 10-year-old me who was learning regular <laughs> guitar in the first place going what what would you tell 40 you know 41 year old me about learning guitar well you know watch your hands and make sure you don't lift your pinky too high when you don't need to or that you don't waste any motion or that you make sure that they, look at how people are supposed to sit at a desk and and make sure your elbows at the right angle so you're not hurting yourself and I just had to kind of create it from scratch and I learned other people's songs and I relearned our songs and I started writing songs with whatever kind of chords I could reach and it all developed. It's, it's like one of those, those stories about if you do something for two and a half hours a day for five years, you can become fluent at it. And if you do it even more than that, then you become fluent faster. The 10,000 hours to perfection. Yeah, or at least to, you know, 10,000 hours, I feel like, is is just to get a handle on something. And mm. I feel like the the next 100,000 are, are where you really get inside it. Yeah, for sure. So growing up, who was your, who was your favorite guitar player? I was a, um, the, the guitar stuff that really bit me at first was, I loved Stevie Ray. I loved Prince. When I when I heard the beginning of um, When Doves Cry, I knew I wanted to play electric guitar. And um, growing up in the in the '80s, there was so much, you know, Prince and the Police and and guitar as a as a, a you know a shred weapon, but also as a compositional tool. And then someone made me a tape that had a John Lee Hooker record on one side of it and Hendrix live at the BBC on the other side of it. And those two things just blew my mind open because, you know, everything on eighties radio was pretty shiny and neither of these were that (laughs) at all. And they kind of scared the shit out of me. Like I didn't know what to make of, you can't even count to four when you're listening to John Lee's records. And it, (laughs) it just blew my head off that, the the Hendrix records were so that BBC stuff is so buzzy and noisy and raw and free and beautiful that those things were really formative for me and I and it, it just led me down the path and and like everyone learning to play guitar in, in kind of the mid eighties, Stevie Ray was such a great gateway drug. Not only was his his passion and his ferocity real obvious and, and compelling, but he was so open with, well, if you dig me, you got to check out the Three Kings. You have to check out Lonnie Mac. You have to check. He was just such a great, in the pre-YouTube era, a guy who was so good at pointing people at his influences and saying, check this out, check out Live at the Regal. You got to check out you know, Born Under a Bad Sign. And, and so off I went. Yeah, that, that is a good point about how there wasn't the artists similar to what you're listening to on say Spotify or something like that. Like you actually had to dig in to find other people's influences and similar genres. Totally. And there was, we were lucky too, that there was a, and there still is um, a blues bar in Saskatoon 
um, called Buds on Broadway that had a Saturday jam that a, a bunch of us came out from. Big Dave McLean still plays there all the time. Um, there's a, a guy who's like the, the Danny Gatton of Saskatchewan whose name is Jack Semple, and he'd play there all the time. Um, for, for quite some time, touring blues musicians would, would make it part of their circuit. And, and the jam, you could be any age and get up on stage. And so for, for Rain Wolf, for Jordan Cook, for, for a whole bunch of guitar players from Saskatoon, that was our, our first time not just playing in a basement, but getting up on stage and in front of a bar full of some pretty intimidating looking folks and, and taking a crack at it and, and losing the, the fear of getting up in front of people and just swimming through your clothes going for it was, was really, really important as a, as a young player. And there was a music store that had tons of vintage stuff um, and, you know, cool staff who worked at it called HEL Music that's no longer there. And they would all talk us through gear and it would be the place everyone would hang on a Saturday and learn about stuff and watch other people play. So there's, there's the aspect of it of learning about people from around the world, but there was a really local communitarian part of it based around record stores. I remember being in a record store and hearing um, Riviera Paradise from the Instep record for the first time and just going, what is this? And, <laughs> and they were these really localized experiences that were almost more important than the, because the other ones felt not attainable. You know, I went to the same high school that Joni Mitchell went to, but then she left. And the Northern Pikes had, had, had created a career and had a catalog that people knew, but they were they were kind of on the road already and they were a generation older than us. So we, we, it didn't really seem like something that was attainable, but playing at the blues bar was and, and seeing those people play and learning to sit in with them and, and that stuff seemed like it was within reach. So that was what we aimed for. So how old were you when you were kind of coming up in that scene? Uh, from, from about 14 on, from like 14 to 19, I think that was where I spent most of my Saturdays was either the music store or across the street at the blues bar. So that was a pretty awesome experience growing up and coming up through that community, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And then there'd be other experiences like a, you know, a, a family band where the, the dad and his two sons uh, had a band playing the dad's tunes and he was really Beatles kind of influenced songwriter and they needed a lead guitar player and I'd play with them for a while and you're just a sponge when right. you're starting. I think you should say yes to almost every playing experience where you get to play live and like variety nights at your high school and assemblies and and any of those experiences are are give you a, a bit of a taste and you start to hone the tools that you'll use later to you know, when you're opening for a big band that their crowd has never heard of you, 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 you rely on those same things that you honed in those early experiences.
found out I was going to have the opportunity to talk to you today, one of my best friends, uh, shout out to Ryan Kinney, wanted me to ask you, wanted me to ask you if you were still rocking the Les Paul and why is the Les Paul your guitar of choice? Oh, I wonder if he said Nighthawk and not Les Paul, or if he, if he, if he saw, uh, I play a really weird kind of rare Gibson called a Nighthawk, which is kind of a cross between a Les Paul and a Telecaster. It's the fenderiest Gibson guitar maybe ever. Um, in that <laughs> Does it's, it have uh, like a thinner neck? It, it has a slightly thinner neck. It has a way thinner body. For Pardon me, non-guitar nerds, for a second. It has a Fender <laughs> scale, so the neck is as long as a Fender's is, not shorter like a Gibson's is. It has Fender-style saddles and a, a five-way switch instead of a two-way switch and a master volume and a master tone, which is sort of a cross between a Gibson and a Fender. And it just was, I, ha- I was a Strat guy for a really long time. And then um, I was looking for another guitar because the Strat I had was in need of repair. And I found this Nighthawk and it gave me everything I wanted as far as Fender sounds. And it gave me all the kind of Gibson-y tones that I'd never had before. And they only they only really made it from about 93 to 98 or 9 or so and then there were some epiphone reissues later and that's that's the guitar that i i could i could take to any gig and be comfortable with so yeah les paul i was a really little guy when i first started so les paul would have been too heavy and i love single coil sounds and and this gave me an opportunity to kind of have best of both worlds yeah especially in a three-piece Hmm. yeah totally i think you learn about, and we would see concerts that would that would change us as a band. Again, in the pre-YouTube days, just going to shows and seeing performances where we'd, if, if the three of us in the band went together to see Buddy Guy, we would walk into it thinking that we knew what dynamics were, and we would leave the concert with with the parameters of our dynamic awareness pushed out to eons beyond what we'd walked in thinking there were. Like, we thought you know, we do the loud part loud and the quiet part quiet. And then we'd see Buddy where it got so quiet that you could hear his pick touch the string acoustically (laughs) off the stage louder than anything coming through the mains. And then the loudest part would tear your head off. And it would be like, okay, now we understand dynamics after seeing that. And, you know, those, those experiences that just forever change you. We have a, a mentor who was a guitar player in Edmonton named Ross DeMute and just watching the way that he would change the temperature in the room by his note selection and his tone at just the right moment really taught us a lot about, you know, when you're younger, you figure out what you can play and then you, you learn, you spend the next bunch of years learning what you should and when, and he was a huge part of teaching us that. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So the new album, I want to go with you. So what does that album title mean to you? Mm, good question. It, it was applied afterwards, um, after sitting back and listening to the, the body of songs that we'd recorded and realizing how many of the themes are about travel, about starting and going another, or about things changing, or about straight-up literal road trips or songs that were written on trains or about um, you know, having no idea where you're going, but if you're with 
someone who's important to you doesn't matter. You could be driving in circles and it would be a, an epic adventure. So um, it just was the, the thing that felt like it captured it. And one of the, one of the first songs that I started to figure out on the three, st- three slide lap steel was a version. I always loved the Skip James song, Jesus is a Mighty Good Leader. Um, either from his original version or I know Beck covered it. And it's, it's just always kind of been in my head that that melody was stuck with me. But I, I, wanted, I wanted when we sing the music for this and once it be there's going to be our bluesiest record ever, it was really important to me to not co-opt bluesy cliche phrases to try and evoke things. I wanted it to be lyrics that were real to me and, and, you know, and connected to my life, not just a grab bag of kind of bluesy phrases to say or things that rooms that people had already walked all over. So I, I ended up changing the words of, of Jesus is a mighty good leader to be, I want to go with you. And instead of it being, you know, the someone leading someone's entire family up to heaven after they die, that it would be, I don't know where we're going. I don't want to lead you. I don't want to follow you. I just want to go with you to whatever we're bound for. Let's just go together. So that was kind of the the cornerstone of what the songs on the record were written around. And and the travel part of it became a, a recurring theme. That's awesome. So I just have one more question. It was one of my favorite fan questions that people submitted. So I wanted to mm. sneak that in at the end before I let you go. All right. In the song this morning, you say that you're not superstitious. Uh, is, is, that, is that true?
Yeah, I th- I don't think I am. I think I I appreciate it's like um superstition for me is kind of like Halloween or uh or the Rocky Horror Picture Show or the Big Lebowski um where it's a this collection of of thoughts and ideas and almost memes that all hang together and I can appreciate the history of how people assembled them and how they were important to people but for me I'm not I don't I don't put much stock in it you know someone going oh this happened because that happened or my team lost because I wore not this hat or <laughs> that stuff right I I like uh I like evidential you know empirical science maybe too much to subscribe to all that stuff although I can appreciate it and I I think before we knew um a lot of the things we know folkloric kind of uh story based explanations of things were were real poetic and they were kind of our best shots at understanding a world that didn't make very much sense and it probably still doesn't but the our observational tools are a little better honed now and so the the things that hang together that I put stock in are are a little different than those, but I can I can appreciate them as as images and things to work with. So that being said, do you have any pre-show rituals? Uh, <laughs> beyond beyond hanging and and laughing with with uh, with Saf and and Darren or Reed or whoever's playing bass with us. Um, this is probably too much information. I I pee way more times than a, a person should need to go just because if you've ever been on stage and had to go and thought about why didn't I do this before, it plants this seed in you where you're like, okay, 10 minutes before, five minutes before, two minutes before, okay, one minute before, just to make sure I don't have to. And then let's <laughs> go on stage. <laughs> I know Perfect. So the pre-show pee. The pre-show pee, man. I, I endorsed that. <laughs> well, what better way to end than on that? <laughs> Perfect. That was awesome, man. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks. Yeah.